Hi, welcome back. My name's Kevin. This week we're gonna talk about patching holes in walls. Last week Dale started the process for us. Hmm. So, we have a hole in the wall. One of the things that I have found that works incredibly well for this is a product by Fibotape. Fibotape makes two different sizes, one for little holes, like this, and one for big holes. The way that this works, you take the patch out of the paper, you peel the backing off. This entire fiberglass piece and aluminum piece is self-adhesive. Apply it to your surface. You need to make sure that your wall is clean, dull, and dry. Firmly press it into place. Grab your spackling, which we will be using a lightweight spackling compound this time. And we'll apply two coats to the patch. This coat will be our first one. We'll let it dry. Come back with a second coat. Let that one dry. And then a light sanding. And then we'll be ready to paint. So that's it for this week. Hope you join us next week as we talk more about renovating your home and your life. Well, hello, Heritage. Welcome to all of you here at Rock Island. Also want to greet our campuses and those joining us online. And if you're a guest with us, especially glad you're here. Thanks for joining us on this, the second week of Renovate. A series where we're looking at life and family and we're having some fun exploring key areas of both through the metaphor of a home. Where each room of that home represents a key area and we're looking to see which of those areas may be in need of some renovation. What do we need to renovate in those rooms? In fact, the idea or the concept of renovation or to renovate just simply means this, to restore to good condition, make new or as if new again to repair. And all of us have some area of our life that is in need of renovation or repair. There are areas of our life, life that aren't really in the condition that they should be. Most didn't start out that way, but life happens. We make mistakes and, and things that were once in good order or good repair no longer are. But they can be. Yet we can struggle to know how. Struggle to identify the real problem and the right fix. And we can end up causing more problems and making things worse in the process. And I've got to say, apparently I have been using way too much spackle to fix holes in walls. Anybody with me on that? A patch. That's beautiful. Awesome. Look, even though we see the problem, we may not be able to identify the best or right solution, even get to the real problem, and we can cause more issues in the process of trying to fix something in that renovation. We can make it worse. Kind of like this guy. Check it out. Well, let's just, let's just pause right there for a moment. Any of you see that this is a bad idea? Okay, he's made a few mistakes already, but he hasn't reached that critical point of no return where he can't come back from it. He can actually come back from this if he would just stop. But as you can imagine, he's not going to, and everything's about to change. So let's rewind a few seconds and watch what happens. Check this out. 
<laughs> I have seen that a dozen times. I laugh every time. My wife, Beth, says I have a warped sense of humor. Maybe, but it doesn't matter. That thing's funny. And it's okay to laugh because he didn't get hurt, right? Look, sometimes we can know that an area of our life needs renovation, but we can struggle to know how to fix it, how to get to the real problem, to find the right fix without making it worse like he just did. Yet even though we may find ourselves struggling like that, the, the, the good news is we actually don't have to. We don't have to do that in life. We don't even have to do it alone because God wants to do it for us. And he can renovate any room, any life. In fact, he's the only one who can. Which is why last week we understood this reality that only God can transform a life. Only God can transform a life. Yet, we try to do it on our own. We put our ladder up, we hop our ladder along, and we sling those, swing those sledgehammers with the best of intentions and hopes with limited success, often causing more damage in the process to us and to others. Yet God is the one who can renovate and transform a life. And he does it through Jesus Christ, which is one of the reasons why the church planter and missionary Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's true renovation. That's being made new. And that's what Jesus wants to do in every room in our life. Look, we have rooms in our life or areas of our life that need some repair and renovation. It could be the living room. It might be the kitchen. It could be the family room, the bedroom, or even the home office. We started this series last week by stepping directly into the heart of it all at the living room level. And Jason helped us walk through the realities of relationships and the significance of relationship. Next week, we're stepping into the kitchen to talk about marriage. The week after, we're going to the family room to talk about family and kids. The week after that, we're going to have an honest PG-13 conversation about sex in the bedroom. And this week, we're stepping into the home office. But I wonder, even at this point, which of these rooms in your life are most in need of renovation? Which are most in that critical help reality that you need something to change now? Or even which room is most God-honoring? And I wonder if, if the home office isn't, doesn't actually need more attention than you realize or has more significance than we might realize. I mean, how is your home office? We all have one. I know some of you are going, no, Sean, no, we don't all have one. No, yes, we do. Listen. In this metaphor, the home office is the place that we pay bills, we budget, we, we balance our checkbook, we pay taxes, we file important documents. It's the resource hub. We have a home office. Sometimes it's big or small. It could be organized, disorganized, kept, unkept. For some of us in our literal home, it's an entire room. For some of us, it's just a corner of a room. And then even for some, it's just a computer even a laptop, so it's mobile, and it's even on a device. But we all have a place in our life that represents the home office. And that home office is kind of like the central nervous system of the home because it intersects and represents what we earn and save and give and spend. 
It's, it speaks to what we pursue. It actually represents the stewardship piece of our life. And, and it reflects our priorities. And it reflects what we value. Yet many of us can look at the home office and, and not see it have any connection to the rest of the house. Think that it has little impact to the house and the other rooms, let alone our spirituality. But Jesus taught more about the things that are represented in the home office than any other subject. And he did it because he understood how important it is. He understood how it intersects with all those other rooms. And I want to be clear up front and reiterate a foundational reality, reality that we've looked at before. That, that God doesn't mind if we have stuff. God doesn't mind if we have possessions. He doesn't mind if we have belongings. He minds if stuff has us. In fact, say that with me. Read this with me. God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if stuff has us. That is a foundational reality that is represented in the home office. And, and whether stuff has us or whether we just have stuff speaks to the need for renovation and the status of our home office. Now, the world will say that, that stuff can change our lives. That the world will say that we need stuff. Those possessions, that money, the things like that, they will solve our problems. That, that things make our lives better and that we will find true satisfaction in having them. But Jesus never gave money as a solution for what is needed in life. And when treasure or our stuff become the source of our hope, then our home office is in need of renovation. We can have stuff. We can even have material wealth or not. But if we serve and chase it, then we're not serving God. When we let stuff rule, we have to chase it. We have to follow it. And that will always be away from God because we can't follow both our stuff and God. Look, I want to take a moment to, to dig into one individual's story. It's actually a man in Scripture who had the opportunity to talk to Jesus about this issue, had a personal interaction with him. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it and turn or click to Mark chapter 10, second book of the New Testament, chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it up on the screen. It's also in your sermon note guide that you can follow along. But we're in a passage of Scripture that's actually just a little ahead of where we were two weeks ago when we had our vision weekend. It's in verse 17, back from that blind Bartimaeus part. We're actually looking at a, another section where we find the account of a devout young man who was also rich. Now, he was a guy who, do, who diligently followed the rules of his faith, and, but yet he felt that something was missing. He felt like there had to be more. So he goes to Jesus and he asks some questions and he interacts with Jesus in a way where Jesus looks at him with love and then he, then he tells him the one thing that he lacked. And how he could renovate his home office and radically change his life. And I want to walk down through that scripture today with you. It's Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. Again, it'll be up here. And we'll kind of do a walk and talk and just walk down through the passage itself. So here we go, Mark 10, verse 17. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Now, this conversation with the rich young man took place as Jesus was leaving the home he had been staying in. And we know that from what we're told in verse 10. But what Mark tells us is that this man came up, running to Jesus, fell down before him. But he doesn't mention that the man was a young ruler. We can learn that from Luke's account in Luke 18. But what Mark does tell us is how it happened. And notice that the man starts by calling Jesus good teacher. Which is really the same word for master. And he's showing respect. He's showing recognition. And the dude's on his knees. But yet, in that moment, Jesus still questions him about it. In fact, look at this. Verse 18. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, the significance of this question depends on where we place emphasis. I mean, you guys know in the English language, depending on where we place emphasis on on a statement or a question, it can change the meaning a little bit. Just consider this. A man placed on trial for stealing a woman's purse may make this statement. He could say, I didn't steal her purse. And when he says that, he's saying, I didn't do it, right? But with a little different emphasis, things can change. He could say, I didn't steal her purse, implying maybe he borrowed it because it matched his shoes, right? Or this way, another emphasis, I didn't steal her purse. What's he saying? I didn't steal hers, but I stole somebody else's. Or even one more scenario, I didn't steal her purse, meaning I stole something else, but not the purse. See, where we place emphasis in a question or statement can change the meaning significantly. And when we look at this particular question that Jesus asked, where's the emphasis to be? Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And we need to understand that Jesus wasn't saying that he wasn't God. Because he was. He he is. He wanted to see and hear the man's heart. Did the man know and see Jesus for who he was as God? Was he saying good out of courtesy and respect or out of belief and faith? It matters. And sometimes I wonder when we approach God whether we're interacting with him out of respect or out of faith. Because if we're just doing it out of respect and not faith, it's empty. You know, it... As I think about this question, I believe that it was intended to lead the man to consider the true identity of Jesus. And the emphasis could be on all three of those words, you, me, good, but I think, as I read it, it's on you. Why do you call me good? Now, it really doesn't matter maybe the emphasis where that is because Jesus doesn't give the guy a chance to respond. He continues into verse 19 and he says, you you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And then in verse 20, the man responds, he he says to him, teacher, and and notice he dropped the good. (laughs) He's like, I'm not messing with that anymore. Not going to catch me with that question. All these I have kept from my youth. He's saying, I have followed these rules my whole life, a long time. But I feel like something's missing. I feel like there has to be more. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you have been there. 
You've followed the rules. You've told the line. You've, you've stayed in step with the letter of the law. But you still feel incomplete and dry and stale in your relationship with God. But that's what, hap- that's what happens when we don't complete the journey. When we don't give him everything and follow him fully. It's the result of, of living by rules and not relationship. And it's a sign that our home office needs a renovation. Verse 21. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And I got to tell you, that's probably my favorite part of this passage. I love the fact that our Lord Jesus looks upon us no matter who we are, where we've been, and what we've done. And he loves us. He loves us. And he said to the man, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, lacking one thing may not seem that significant, but it can actually make a huge difference. Just consider this statement you may see on a sign. Slow children crossing. When we read it like that, it has one meaning. But when we take away the tiny little comma, it reads differently. Slow children crossing. You with me? Some of you, just take a second. All right, let's go to the next one and I'll help you. Here we go. We're going to learn to cut and paste, kids. That has one meaning, but when you take away the small comma, it reads differently. We're going to learn to cut and paste, kids. That sounds like fun. Okay, last one, favorite one. Let's eat, Grandpa. (laughs) That's a kind invitation. But when you take away the tiny little comma, it becomes weird. Let's eat, Grandpa. (laughs) Look, small things can make a huge difference. And as Jesus is interacting with this man, he's saying you lack one thing. To go sell everything, give it to the poor, have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, some of you who are literalists are out there going, that's not one, Sean, that's four. (laughs) Go, sell, give, follow. Well, hang on. He's giving steps, go, sell, give, follow, that all point to one lack. He needed to go do those four things to address the one lack. He needed to follow Jesus. He needed to make Jesus the priority. No longer letting his stuff have him. He lacked one thing, and lacking one thing can make a huge difference. Jesus identified what was missing. He pointed out what renovation was needed. He he identified what needed to be torn down and built up, what needed to be remodeled. Go, sell, give, and follow. Not follow rules, but follow me. Follow Jesus and him alone. You know, like the man, we can lack a commitment to Jesus ourselves. Our our hearts can wander to other things. That dude valued his stuff more than he valued Jesus. And that pointed to his lack. But all he needed to do was was to let go and follow. Just, Just to sell and commit to Christ. But look at his response in the end in verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. 
My friends, this is a powerful example of home office realities and the need for renovation. God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if stuff has us. And the deal is that a right relationship with possessions, a right relationship with belongings, a right relationship with stuff positions us for a right relationship with people. If we don't have a right relationship with our things, with our belongings, then our ability to have right relationship with people and God is not possible. Those things are in the way. See, this is, this is one reason why Jesus talked more about money and possessions and treasure than any other subject. And it's not because he thought it was evil. No, it's not. Money is not evil, it's neutral. But how we handle money and treasure and belongings, that's what matters. It can either lead to blessing or hardship. And if we don't handle our possessions right, have a right relationship with possessions, then it can lead our home and our life into disarray where we end up living lesser lives if we allow it. Because fundamentally, where our heart is, there our treasure will be. And Jesus talked about this. And you may remember this back from our cardiac arrest series back in the spring. Jesus said, for where your heart is, there your treasure, there, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And a right relationship with possessions matters. Because our heart was created to follow. It'll follow what we value. It'll follow what we treasure. It'll follow what we love. And our heart will always be where our treasure is. Our heart will always be where our treasure is. I wonder where your treasure is today. See, our, we all have things that matter to us. Those things ultimately influence how we live. Every day, we place value on those things, which then lead to us choosing what we pursue and protect and invest in. And each of those choices reveals something about who we are. But those choices do more than that. They actually determine what's possible and impossible in our life. They, they determine the location and condition of our heart because our heart will always be where our treasure is. So, faced with Jesus' answer, the rich young man, once hungry for radical renovation, I'm missing something, there's got to be more, he now walks away. He knew he needed renovation, yet he leaves sad. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? What he lacked was simple. It's not all that hard, practically. Take some time and go sell your stuff and give it away. It's not all that difficult. But it's difficult at a heart level. That's where it gets hard. It, it's practically simple, but it's personally significant. I wonder what Jesus might say to you and I today in this subject area about our home office. What is something that he would say we lack, you and I, something we're still holding on to. Because that thing, if, if it's there, that is an obstacle to following him fully. It's the obstacle to living the full life we were made for. It could be possessions, but it could be our career. It could even be our family. It might be a drug, a pleasure, a hidden sin, 
Holding on to possessions and habits and even some aspirations can cause us to walk away sad, longing for more. And I wonder if today you're ready and willing and able to let go and to follow. You know, most of us, I don't think we can identify with the man's burden and distraction of wealth. Most of us can't do that. But we do hold on to other things. We hold on to that addiction. We hold on to that inappropriate relationship. We hold on to a love of money. We hold on to selfishness, bitterness, anger, a secret sin. The list could go on. It's anything that separates us from God. What do you need to sell today? What do you need to get rid of in order to be made new? Now, some of you I know are thinking, I have something, but there's no way I can let it go. I've tried before, and I'm just not able to give it away. Listen, you can, by His renovating power in your life, you can. You may think your only recourse is to walk away sad, but you can instead invite Jesus in to do that renovation of that impossible thing, and you will never be the same. He can do it, no matter how impossible you think it is. No matter how big, deep, dark that thing is, he can do it. In fact, he talked about it in verse 27 in Mark 10. He says this, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. It may be impossible for us to renovate that part of our life, but it is not impossible for him, and we invite him in by his power at work. Look, you can do this. You can make him priority in your life. And you can enjoy new levels of freedom and joy. You can actually echo the words of Peter, who in verse 28 says, we have left everything to follow you. Look, the deal is that what, what we surrender to God can be used by God and blessed by God. That's awesome! What we surrender to him can be used by him and blessed by him. That's an amazing thing. And the rich young ruler, that dude lacked one thing. It wasn't one more thing. Jesus didn't say, hey, you got these things, you just need one more thing. He said, you lack one thing. You have all that stuff, but you lack one thing. There is only one thing you need, and you don't have it, and that thing is me. So what you need to do is to go sell your stuff because that stuff is more important to you. Your stuff has you. And then come follow me, and you will have the one thing you lack. And your life will never be the same. A full life in Jesus is not about acting a certain way or doing certain things. It's following him that brings life. And he invites us into that relationship. And many people simply need the courage to step into it, to just do it. Because without it, we end up walking away sad and incomplete. And that's really one reason why just two chapters earlier in Mark 8, Jesus says these things in Mark 8, starting with verse 34. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. 
but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What you and I surrender to God can be used by God and blessed by God. That's stinking awesome. It comes with a cost that we have to let go of those things that we have placed value on that really shouldn't have that value, but we receive something so much more, incomparably more. Look, it's always good for us as a church to move these conversations to a so what. What do we do? How do we take this information and move it somewhere? Well, I believe that for today, a quote from theologian John Wesley can be a great starting point for us as we move forward. Because he once said this, he said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I like it. It's clean, it's clear, and it's healthy. Now, when he first said it, he was talking about financial realities and resources only. But I think we can look at that statement and not only look at it from a resource and financial reality, but we can look at it at a spiritual reality. That that statement actually applies to just about every area of our home office. And we can take steps towards health and renovation in that area by considering these three things. So let's do that. I want to do it based on physical and financial and resource reality, but also spiritual, okay? So here's the first one. Gain all you can. Gain all you can. And I know some of you sitting out there like starting to squirm saying, that doesn't feel Christ-like. That doesn't feel like we can say that in church. But listen, earning all we can is a valid, healthy, good thing. To use our gifts and abilities and the platform God has given us to earn everything we can for His glory is a good thing to have. Gain all you can. And many financial problems are rooted in spending more than we earn. And, and earning more can, can be essential to, to finding financial freedom. And if your spending right now is under control, you may still find yourself with a gap financially, a shortfall. And if that's the case, earning more could solve that problem. Getting a new job, finding a side job. Look, the key is to remember that earning is not a sin. Having stuff is not a sin. Letting our stuff have us, that's the issue. Earn all you can. Look, as a church, we're committed to making sure all of us are, are financially healthy and financially right side up. And we know that's a challenge in this world. And, and, and we want to come alongside everyone in that journey. And so we offer classes. In fact, we're offering a Financial Peace University class both here at Rock Island and at Bentendorf. It, it's an opportunity to walk through the basics of budgeting and how to dump debt and planning for the future and much more. And I encourage you to lean into exploring that. You can get information online at heritageqc.com, but also today in your worship folder is a pamphlet that, that points out when some of those opportunities are coming. And I encourage you, if you need some help getting right side up financially, to lean into that so that you can gain and earn all you can to glorify God. That's a physical resource reality side. Now, the spiritual side of things in this area, you know, one of the sad realities is that like the rich young man, we can keep the law of things but lose the love. That man had an opportunity for a life-changing renovation, but he chose not to engage it, which is really why Jesus' question in verse 36 is so important. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
That's a great question. What have you gained at this point in your journey spiritually? What are you gaining? It's an incredibly important question. Earn all you can. Gain all you can. But be diligent in making sure that when you have stuff, that stuff doesn't have you. Earn all you can. Second thing, save all you can. Save all you can. That's great. Cool. It's good. We need to be doing that. And practically speaking, again, a right relationship with the possessions is key. It is wise to financially set aside money for projected expenses as well as unexpected expenses. We all need to do it. But we should never put our hope in those resources. When our treasure, our stuff, becomes the source of our hope, our home office is in need of renovation. Treasure should never be a trophy in our lives, but always be a tool to bless God, to bless others and glorify God. Earn all you can, save all you can. Physically, spiritually. When it comes to saving all you can in a spiritual sense, that concept of to save actually requires letting go. It's the opposite. To live life to the full, we must learn to let go and follow. That's why Jesus said what he did in verse 35. He said, for for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Saving in a spiritual sense involves letting go. And this applies to us And it applies to everyone the Lord is trying to reach through us. Save all you can. Use your salvation, your relationship with God as the means for others to find relationship with Him. Live as a sent person. Saving all you can. Look, if you've never given Jesus authority in your life, and today is an opportunity for you to do that, to receive the one thing you lack. If you do, you will never be the same. Life will never be the same if you will receive him as Lord and Savior. Now, on the back of the sermon note guide are a couple of steps to that journey and a suggested prayer. This could be just the simple starting point of a radical renovation in your life that positions you for all that God created you for. It begins with a conversation. And if you've never had that conversation where you have let go and then followed then that's the opportunity for you today. And I pray that you would do that before you leave. Just have the conversation. Moving from spiritual death to spiritual life. Earn all you can, save all you can. Finally, give all you can. Give all you can. Look, financially, to love is to give. Generosity reflects the heart of God. Jesus taught that it is more blessed to give than receive. So faithfulness and giving back to God what is His is key. That's one reason why we we take time every week as a church family to receive tithes and gifts and offerings. It is not only an expression of love, it is an act of worship and an act of obedience. Give all you can. In a spiritual sense, giving ourselves away and following Jesus That was the core issue for the rich young man. Look at what Jesus said in verse 34. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That is the beginning of the life-transforming journey. 
and it is an awesome invitation to follow Jesus. There is no better place on earth to be than in right relationship to God through Jesus Christ and to experience his power at work in our life, have him renovate every room in our house, and do forever be different. But yet lacking one thing can make a huge difference in many areas of life. And that rich young man had an ongoing lifestyle problem, but Jesus gave him the solution to take off his material comfort, give it to those in need, to give what he held tightly. And then he followed it up with a present tense statement. In fact, it was a command. It was more like continually follow me, literally come be following me. And so we could literally read what Jesus said this way, one thing you are continually lacking, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and continually follow me. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That is the beginning of a home office transformation and renovation. I wonder today what your stuff says about you. What does your home office say about you? It matters because it speaks to a, really another question, another issue. And maybe if we just strip that question away, there's more of a fundamental question that we have to ask in every room in this journey. That question is, when will Jesus be enough? When will Jesus be enough for you so that you can go and sell and give away the stuff that has you and actually receive the life he has for you and live life to the full through him? If there is anything more important to us than him, we have a problem. But if we're willing to sell it, to give it away, and leave it behind to follow him, then our stuff will never have us, and our hearts will be aligned to him. And then we receive what Jesus talks about in verse 30, that hundred times more reality. My friends, earn to provide, save to bless others, but give to honor God, then watch what he does. Because when we run to him and we fall before him on our knees and we ask of him to do what only he can, then our life will never be the same. And that is my hope and prayer for each and every one of us in this journey. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to spend just a few moments together in worship and together in your word. I thank you for the story of this rich young man because of what we can learn. I thank you for how Jesus not only was teaching him through it, but he was wanting to teach us. I thank you for the chance that we can sit back and consider the, the status of our home office, the realities around that home office space. And Father, I pray that we would be a people where our stuff doesn't have us, but we can have stuff that we use for you, that we, we can earn and save and give in a way that honors you. And I pray that you'd help each one of my brothers and sisters process through what you want to change and transform and renovate within their own home office. And for those here today, Father, that have yet to, to receive your Son as Lord and Savior, to invite him in and to follow him, letting go of everything else, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would meet them right where they're at in their seat. And they would have a personal conversation with you where you move them into relationship with yourself through your Son and you begin that radical renovation of their life this day. 
I love you, Father. I thank you for what you're doing among us as a people. And I pray this week that you would be able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine through us because of our right relationship with you through your son, Jesus, in whose name I pray. And everybody said, amen.